Shabbat Shalom. Well, we are um, getting really close to Holy Week, the week of Passover. It's going to be an amazing time. I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to ask the sound man to bring me down a little bit, if you would. That'd be great. So this is our holy season. This is the cycle of redemption lived out, experienced by everyone in the community year after year, generation after generation. It shapes us, it informs us, it identifies us. It's who we are. And it's such a great legacy, such a great heritage that we're all joining into. It's exciting when you think about it, right? So um, I've entitled this Passover, Physical and Spiritual. So think about it. There's an old and a new Passover spoken of throughout the scriptures. The first one is the physical Passover that we read about, that we memorialize. And there's another one, a second one. Just like there's a first and second Moses, there's a first and second Passover. Just like there's an old covenant, there's also a new covenant. And they're all connected. One is the natural, and the second one is the spiritual. They're all connected and all interwoven. The first and second Passover find their fulfillment in Yeshua, the Messiah. He is the Passover Lamb of God. That phrase, Lamb of God, is connected to the sacrifice of the lambs. One in the morning, one in the afternoon, every day. And also, those originate from the Passover Lamb. The Passover Lamb that provided salvation for all of those who entered into those homes under the blood of the Lamb. So this phrase... Lamb of God, specifically the Passover Lamb of God, is attributed to Yeshua, the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. When you go to the book of Revelation, and I really want to do a series on the Lamb of God motif in the book of Revelation, because the whole first couple chapters are, are really centered in and upon the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the world. And he's there at the end on the throne to judge the living and the dead. Amazing in every way. So he is our Passover Lamb of God. In him, we have a new and greater Passover, a new and loftier exodus, a new and better covenant to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to preface this uh, teaching today. I want to talk a little bit about our nation and our context today. Uh, our, our nation, our world, is being shaken to its core. It is full of lawlessness. Let me qualify that. When you run across this word lawlessness, it's in reference not to law. We got more laws than ever before. Our society is not lawless. We got, we got probably too many laws. No, it's referring to the Torah. Less and less of Torah. The spirit of lawlessness is less and less Torah. We could call it Torah-lessness. Less and less of God's laws. 
The world is full of Torahlessness, confusion, and chaos because of lying and deceiving powers in high places. The corruption in high places is at an all-time high. Just like Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, the principalities, the powers, and the authorities are corrupt, both in the heavenlies and in the earth. These are spiritual powers and dominions that fill the hearts of wicked people and together orchestrate the chaos, the lawlessness. This results in judgment. God brings judgment as a result of that. And so we see it everywhere. Paul puts it this way. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power, signs, and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish. So this spirit of lawlessness has been around a long time. And we've seen it kind of rise and then kind of dissipate and rise. And you can watch that. And now we're coming into our age, right? And you can see how it's increased and how we see on a global level wickedness like never before. And it comes for those who are perishing. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. People didn't have a regard for what is true. And as a result, because they did not love the truth, they were set up for deception, set up to fall away, to be swept away in judgment. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. God! sends the delusion to those who have no regard for truth. They're swept away in something they cannot resist, a delusion from the Most High God. Because they didn't believe what is true, God said, you want, you want, you know, you want fake stuff? You want that which is false? Yeah, I'll give it to you till it comes out your nose. You'll be swept away in the delusion that I'm sending. There'll be no hope for you in the end. Why? Because you did not have any regard for truth, for that which is real, for reality. Think about that today, how crazy the world is, right? Stop and think about that. The coronavirus and all the lies and deception surrounding that. The shutdowns. And all of the lies surrounding those. The mRNA so-called vaccine, which is actually gene therapy. All the lies surrounding the vaccine. And don't forget the infamous cloth face mask. And all of the lies all around the world related to that. The last election, January 6th, sexuality marriage and family. Look at what the world's saying about race and gender and the Green New Deal 
lies and deception almost in every realm that we interface with as a society. How about all the lies related to the true and only corporate worship day of the week? How about the true holy days of God versus the man-made syncretisms that obscure the revelation and glory of Jesus the Messiah? Think about the dietary issues. What God says is edible and inedible and what everyone else says about that. Lies, lies, lies. People usually respond and say, well, those things don't really matter. Only love matters. All that matters is that we love each other. Really. Those who say such things, I believe, are predisposed to the great end time deception. These things that they say don't really matter are actually truths that do matter. Never forget that God is not only a God of love, He's a God of truth. Jesus prayed, Father, sanctify them in thy word. Thy word is truth. At the end of the day, truth matters. Truth is eternally relevant because truth is the only reality that there is. All other realities are false and lead to confusion, delusion, chaos, misery, and ultimately death. There is a way that seems right unto a man, right? But the end there is thereof is death. Passover. Passover is the first annual appointed time that we have on God's calendar. God gave us a calendar with holy days, appointed times. And these times are filled with all kinds of meaning and purpose designed to reveal who Jesus is and what he's going to do. The whole plan of redemption is revealed in the holy days. That's why the devil in this world wants to, you know, obscure all that by adding a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with the revelation of Jesus, who Jesus is. How do we stay free from the deception all around us? We stay free by walking in the ways of God, by embracing the ways of God. He's the one that defines reality. He defines what is true and what is false. You know, once you unhinge yourself from the word of God, then what's real? What's true anymore? Truth becomes arbitrary. Truth becomes uh, relative to your own experience, I guess, right? Anyone can, anyone, anyone can have their own truths. A man can identify as a woman. A woman can identify as a man. Why? Because there's no truth anymore. It's subjective. Once you remove the baseline for truth, the Word of God, that's why this is so important. Truth matters. Truth leads to liberty, and liberty uh, leads to the pursuit of happiness, meaning, purpose. That's why this stuff's a big deal, not a small deal. It's a big deal. Yes, we're saved by grace and grace alone through faith in the Messiah. But now that we're saved, we have a new way of living so that we can experience the fullness of the salvation that comes to us freely by grace and through faith. So Passover is a memorial 
to our ancestors' exodus from Egypt approximately 3,500 years ago. It's a memorial to the first exodus. It's not a reenactment of that exodus story. We're not doing that today, nor do we want to do that today. Okay? There's all kinds of stuff in that first exodus we would never do, and we're not called to do. It's not a reenactment. It's a memorial where we do things to remind us of what God did for our ancestors back in Egypt 3,500 years ago. It is the ancient and great story of redemption and blessing. It's the forerunner to the second and greater redemption that comes with Messiah, a first and second Passover. Keep in mind that the holy days are revelations of truth and realities to come, and they find their fullness in Yeshua. I'm going to read some quotes from the Haggadah. This is from the Art Scroll Masorah series. Very traditional, beautiful, popular Haggadah. This is the third edition. It says this, redemption, speaking of the Exodus, redemption was twofold, physical and spiritual. These are, these are rabbinic scholars, teachers, sages, that have put together the Haggadah, and they're commenting on it in the preface in the introduction. And they're saying, keep in mind that when you do this celebration, it's a memorial of that first physical redemption of our ancestors out of Egypt, but it was only physical. It pointed forward to a greater spiritual exodus in the future. Two exoduses, a first and a second exodus. It goes on to speak of the duality of Pesach, dual bondage, physical and spiritual. You can be a slave physically, and you can also be a slave spiritually. Sin is a taskmaster. We can be in bondage to sin, even though physically we might be free and living uh, free as human beings physically. It goes on to talk about a dual liberation, physically from Egypt and the redemption to come. Speaking of sin, redemption from sin. And then it states, this is Rabbi Isaac Hutner, quote, the Exodus must be viewed as a prelude to the messianic redemption. What he's saying here is that the first one is physical to teach us about the spiritual. But the new Passover or the second Passover to come with the second exodus is tied to the Messiah. That he'll bring the new Passover with a new exodus, a greater redemption, a spiritual redemption. And it came with Yeshua the Messiah 2,000 years ago. A new Passover, a new Exodus, a new covenant. And we're the recipients of that. This ancient story that we tell at Passover every year, this ancient story in right is fulfilled and rebirthed in Messiah and his kingdom. So Passover teaches us that the Creator 
is also a redeemer, a savior. He's not just the one who creates, he's the one who saves. He's the savior of the world. The children of Israel have been in a cruel and bitter slavery in Egypt for well over 100 years. They are told what to do, what to eat, and where to live by Pharaoh. A new king arises and orders that all newborn Hebrew sons are to be drowned in the Nile. That sets the stage for this Exodus story. He moves to the place where he is actually having the male children thrown in the Nile. He drowns the male Hebrews in in the Nile. So what does God do? God says, those are my sons. Israel's my firstborn son. What are you killing my sons for? Tell Pharaoh I'm going to kill his sons. And what does he do? He drowns them in the Red Sea. It's an amazing story. Just as things could not get any worse, God sends a messianic deliverer called Moses. And he's a type and shadow of Yeshua, the ultimate one to come. In fact, Yeshua is known as the second and greater Moses. And he inaugurates a second and greater Exodus, the Exodus from what Zechariah calls the waterless pit. I'm going to read this to you. Keep in mind, the waterless pit is a Hebraism. It's a reference to the realm of the dead. It's where the departed spirit goes. The body goes to the grave. The departed spirit goes to the realm of the dead. Zechariah 9.11, fascinating passage. It says, For you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This is this greater redemption, a spiritual redemption. And this is cast in a very striking way because it's talking about being bound as prisoners in the realm of death. And who's the Lord of the dead? Satan. He's the one that has authority over that realm until Jesus strips him of that authority. But the promise is that in Messiah, there's going to be this great awakening, this great liberation, a new exodus, and it includes freeing the prisoners from the realm of the dead. And how does he accomplish this? By his own blood. His own sacrifice on the cross. Keep in mind, he's the Lamb of God, right? John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No one's, everyone's connecting the dots here. They're saying he's the Passover Lamb that was foretold in Genesis 22 by Papa Abraham. God will provide the Lamb for the atonement. So here's Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through his own sacrifice on the cross. Just as the Passover lamb's blood was poured out for the salvation of Israel, so the blood of the Lamb of God was poured out for the second and greater salvation from sin and death. Jesus, in in the Passover meal with his disciples, he lifts the cup, the third cup, the cup of redemption, and says... This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. 
I mean, he is going to fulfill the type and shadow of the Passover lamb in his own death, pouring out his own blood for the atonement of our sin. This is why we do Passover. All the revelation, all the truth, all the clarity of who Jesus is comes with great force, impacting our five senses because everything's designed around the five senses in that Passover meal. It keeps us focused on Yeshua. It keeps us centered in Him. It teaches our children all about Him. Our kids growing up, man, they're prepped for an encounter with Yeshua, the Lamb of God. It is so important. When you, when you obscure that by embracing an alternate set of holy days that all, have all kinds of pagan mixtures in those, it obscures who Jesus is. And your kids are confused. And then when they're old enough to go to college in their world religion classes, in their philosophy classes, all their professors point out the lies that are tied into what they believed was what was true, undermining their faith. Many kids walk away from their faith in that first year of college. It's so sad. If they were taught the truth, that wouldn't be happening. They'd be educating their professors. Before we jump into the first Passover, the ancient one, the physical Passover, keep in mind that tradition states that the plagues transpired over approximately 12 months. So when we come to read the story in the Exodus, those plagues that were poured out popular view among scholarship is it took approximately 12 months for that to transpire. Now there's other timelines with that, but th that's the one we're going to go with. In fact, we're going to jump into Exodus 12. This is going to be the final plague. It's the last plague, the 10th plague, and it's the most severe. It's the plague of death. It moves from agitation to misery to death. So here we are at the 10th plague. Every firstborn in Egypt is going to die. Every firstborn. That means every household will be wailing the death of the loss of their firstborn child. And also among their beasts. This will be a tremendous shaking of Egypt. In fact, Egypt has been broken already. Economically, socially, it's a broken nation. And now comes the most severe of the plagues. Let's pick up the reading, Exodus 12, 1 through 13. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. This is the beginning of the calendar. The calendar starts with this. We call this the redemptive calendar. There's a civil calendar that has a different start date, right? But God says, I want you to govern your spiritual life with this calendar. The first of the months of the year shall be Nisan. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. The calendar starts with the redemption of Egypt. 
and tells the story about how God saves us from the fall that occurred in the garden. The first month is Nisan. It's the month of the spring equinox. It's when life appears everywhere. It's springtime. The beginning of our year is the year, or the beginning of our year is the season of life. I like that. I know January is our you know, calendar year or our first month in our American calendar. I hate that. January's cold. It's, everything's dead, dreary, happy new year. Now, I like springtime. That's going to be my new year, right? That's when everything comes to life. God says that's going to be the first month for you to be governed by. Verse 4, I'm sorry, on the 10th of Nisan, on the 10th of the first month, each household is to take a lamb for themselves. I want us all to kind of dial into the idea that everyone has to take a lamb into their home. So every household's going to have a lamb. Everyone. No one is to be excluded. God is prepping them for the mechanism of redemption. And it's tied into the lamb. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of the persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Well, they're going to eat the lamb. First thing is get a lamb. Why? Because you're going to eat it. Okay. What does that mean, right? Verse 5. Your lamb shall be unblemished, a male, an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. You shall, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Who? Everyone. Everyone is going to participate in the killing of the lamb. Papa, when you take the lamb out to put it down, you bring mama and you bring the kids. You bring whoever's in your house. I want everyone to participate in the killing of the lamb. I don't know about you, you know, but at 63, um, death is horrible to me. I have a value for life that I've built over decades that now makes it really hard for me when I see anything that has to die. You can imagine how this shook the kids. Can you imagine? Those kids bonded with that animal. They had basically four days with that animal in their home. And now their dad kills it right in front of them. Blood everywhere. You know, you could not do that today. Social services would put everyone in all, all moms and dads would be carted off, right? It was shocking. Leviticus 17.11 says this. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. 
So here, early in the Exodus story, this whole plan of redemption is going to center on a blood atonement. Whether they understood that or not is certainly questionable. But it was the fact of the matter that God was granting substitutionary atonement at the cost of another soul. The lambs were providing the redemption, the atonement that led to redemption for all of the households. This is a type and shadow of how atonement is secured. Our sins are what beckoned God for the life of his only begotten son. We are all guilty of the murder of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Our sins put him on the cross. Who killed Jesus? You did. I thought it was the Jews. No, it was you. It was me. Every human being, as we see in this story, the type and shadow, I want everyone to kill the lamb. Why? Because that's what you all did. In your sins, it required my son to be murdered on the cross. Verse 7, moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They took the blood of the lamb. They, they put it on their doorways. They just took him put the blood all over the entrances to their homes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. Say it with me, and be sprinkled with His blood. Isn't that interesting? Why? why? What is that in reference to? It goes on to say, may the grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Why? Because you've been sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb. What Lamb? The Lamb of God. Jesus Himself. Blood actually is a synonym for life. The life is carried by the blood. It's life that atones for life. We've been sprinkled with the life of Christ. Through faith in Him, we're sprinkled and filled with His life. Sprinkled with blood is covenant language arising out of the ritual of atonement. Think of the covenant of Moses at the beginning, Exodus 24, 7 through 8. All the people are gathered. He's ready to go up the mountain. He's ratifying the covenant that they've entered into with the Lord. It says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Verse 8, so Mo Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made for you in accordance with all these words. That phrase, and be sprinkled with the blood of Christ, 
has its roots in the first covenant that Moses made, where he sprinkled the literal blood on their faces. Could you imagine being there and having blood hit your face and then looking at each other and you got this blood on your face, right? What? Yeah, this is the whole issue of God communicating to them through the blood of another living thing. You are forgiven. You can have a relationship with me, but it costs the life of another soul. Being sprinkled with the blood of Jesus is code for receiving eternal redemption, eternal sanctification, eternal life, because his blood sprinkled on you is eternal. His life is eternal. Therefore, you are eternal. The phraseology sprinkled with blood is rooted and arises out of the Exodus story. This is why we remember and keep the memorial of Passover. It constantly informs us, constantly shapes us. Both past, present, and future. Keeps us focused on Yeshua, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's look at the command to eat the whole lamb. It's fascinating. Exodus 12, 8 through 9. They shall eat the flesh, the flesh of the lamb that was slain in their houses on the 14th. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. The whole lamb. They stuck a whole lamb on, on a spit. You know, they're, they're roasting it. I don't know about you. When I go out to eat at a restaurant and I order fish, I don't want to see the head and the tail on that fish. You know? I don't know what it is about leaving the head on at some some. Groups do that. I'm thinking, oh man, take the head off. You're scaring me. I mean, that fish is just staring at me like, you're going to eat me? You know, I'm like, get the head and remove it, right? So you got the whole lamb, head, entrails, everything on this spit. And I, I don't know, not too yummy to me, but whatever. So they're to do this with the entire lamb, and then they're to eat the flesh of the lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, states this in John chapter 6, 47 through 58. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of this world, is my flesh. That's, that's disturbing. When you, when you read it at face value, you know, what, what does that communicate? I'm the bread coming out of heaven, and you're to eat this bread, me, that's come out of heaven. And my, my, my bread will result in eternal life, but you've got to eat it. And my bread is my flesh. Yeah, this is a, a hard saying. 
Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Truly a difficult saying. All related to what? The first Passover. Were there to eat the whole lamb. They're, they're, they're to take into their beings the entire lamb. And Jesus is saying, what's true about that lamb is true about me. Unless you take me fully into yourselves, you have no life in me. Verses 54 through 55 bring greater clarification. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he will also live because of me. Taken literally, at face value, that is what we call cannibalism. For us to get to a place where we think that's what Jesus was saying, and to create a ritual which is designed to make that happen. So when you think of the Eucharist, the bread, the bread of life, and what the church did early on and the main flow of Christianity does to this day, is they take the elements, the bread, the host, and the wine, and they pray, and through the authority granted to them, this is their words, by the authority granted to them from God, they actually change that host into the literal flesh of Jesus and the wine into the literal blood of Jesus. And this is what we call Holy Eucharist or Holy, Holy Communion. And it's a big deal because if this is true, if we're to take this literally, it really is the very thing that sustains eternal life. And those that are not participating have no life. And that's why excommunication actually is a pretty big deal in the Catholic Church. In other places, it doesn't really have a bite. In the Catholic Church, basically what they're saying is this. Are you willing to forfeit your eternal life for your sin? Because we'll cut you off if you're unrepentant. I mean, that had some weight to it. Because we have the antecedent theology of the Torah, we know that Jesus could not be espousing cannibalism. If he did, he couldn't be the Messiah. This would be a grievous thing, cannibalism. So how are we to understand it? Well, the first Passover was a literal physical deliverance, a literal lamb to be literally eaten. The second one is spiritual. So he's talking spiritually by way of metaphor, not intending for anyone to take this literal. That would be absolutely ludicrous. 
He's talking about the spiritual fulfillment. He's saying that just like you took the whole lamb into your life, you need to embrace my words, my teachings, who I am. You need to fully take that into you by faith and you will live forever. Of course, this is not literal. In fact, he goes on to say that. He actually says that. Do you think when he says, I'm the lamb of God, he's actually a lamb? Of course not. It's a metaphor. So when he's talking about eating him, he's not talking literally because he isn't even a lamb. He is only a lamb by way of metaphor. So he clarifies this in verse 63 because they come to him and they say, you know, it's too much for us. We, we can't do this. And, and almost everyone quit following him and only a few disciples remained. He says, are you leaving too? And they said, no, we're not leaving. You have the words of life, but we are confused. And so he straightens it out for him. He says, come on, guys. It is the Spirit who gives life. Not the flesh. Not even my flesh. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the words that I've spoken to you. They are Spirit and they are life. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is, you embrace my words, take them into your being, just like when you ate the lamb, take my words, embrace me, and take me into your heart by faith fully, fully. Not some of my teachings, not a part of me, but all of me and all of my teachings, and you will experience eternal life. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? Okay, so let's look at the symbols of Passover. Symbols of the, the week of Passover. Bitter herbs, bitter herbs. You cannot have a Passover. Everyone agrees in Judaism, you cannot, cannot have a Passover without these three symbols. Now there's more symbols than this. You can do as many symbols as you want. You can even add some symbols. But you, you can't do away with any of these three. Bitter herbs, why? It was the symbol of humiliation the rancor of slavery. Sin is a cruel taskmaster. Romans 7:14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage, bondage to sin. Interesting. It equates bondage to sin as a spiritual type of slavery. Paul goes on to explain this when he states in Romans 7:15 through 20. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. But if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin 
which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death, bondage, slavery? Who's going to come and liberate me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I find myself with my mind serving the law of God, but on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. Again, who will set me free from this spiritual slavery? Well, it's going to be Yeshua, the second and greater liberator. The Lamb, through His blood, is going to set us free. (coughs) Which brings us to the next symbol, the Lamb and its blood. God saved our ancestors out of Egypt, right? He saved them when they were in their sins. He came to them in Egypt, in the house of bondage, in their sin. That's when he saved them. They didn't have to do anything to get saved. He came for them. For by grace, they were saved through faith in the blood of the lamb, right? The blood that they put on their doorposts. And by grace, we are saved through faith in the blood of the lamb of God. Jesus, our Passover sacrifice. Exodus says this about the blood. Verse 13, chapter 12. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, God's speaking here, when I see the blood, I will pass over you that no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. They were saved by the blood of the lamb that they put on their door doorposts and they moved into their homes under the blood of the lamb and were saved from the wrath of God poured out on Egypt. This is a picture of salvation first in the natural. And then of course, spiritually in Messiah, this leads us to the next symbol, unleavened bread, matzah, flat bread, right? It's called the bread of affliction and haste. Deuteronomy 16.3, you shall not eat leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat with it unleavened bread. You shall eat with what? The lamb, the Passover sacrifice. You're going to eat that every day for seven days. And you're going to eat unleavened bread with the lamb for seven days. This is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste so that you remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt, saved them in their sin, and then delivered them out of the house of sin. God always saves us by grace through faith, but then he takes us and he leads us out of these places of bondage that I just read to you in Romans chapter 7. Back to the Apostle Paul. You turn the page to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, and what does Paul say? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first step to liberation is the good news that in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are accepted in him, reconciled with the Father, forgiven. No condemnation under the blood, right? That's the first step into liberty. Then it goes on to say this, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
It's the Spirit of God working you that's going to liberate you from the law of sin and death. Your deliverance will come. It takes time, but it will come. You can get out of any sin bondage that you have. I don't care what it is. The lie is, oh, I'll never, I'll never get free of this. This is the way it is. This is who I am. Those are all lies. It's all the mentality of the, the, those that say they're addicted. You know, I can't help it. I'm addicted. You know, no, let me tell you something. You can get free of anything. The power of the spirit of God can free you from anything. One of the, one of the big things that most men struggle with is pornography because it's free. It's, it's, at, it's at one click away and you know, it's whatever you want and it's in the privacy of your home. So a lot of men struggle with this and they just feel like, man, there's no freedom from this. It plagues. Most men, and I want to tell you something, it's a lie. You can be free of anything, including that. You say, how though? How, how, how do I get free of that, right? You get free simply by asking God, who's more than willing to free you. You just say, God, I'm bound by this. I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do. I feel so much guilt and shame. You know, what about me? You cry out to him and say, deliver me, make a way for me, help me. And God will do that. You just pray that day in and day out. And over a period of time, you'll find yourself getting freer and freer and freer until it has no more hold on you. Yes, the power of the Spirit of Christ in you is greater than the principle of sin and death. goes on to say, well, I'm going to have to just jump down. Suffice it to say, in Romans chapter 8, Paul makes a compelling case that life in the Spirit will set you free from the dominion of sin and shame. It's pictured in the Exodus and it's realized through faith in Jesus. We're saved at point A, B, C, and D. So if, if you're saved, if you're saved in your sin, you're just as saved at the very beginning as you are along your journey of getting free from all your sin bondages. Doesn't matter where you're at. And you know what that looks like? It looks kind of on a graph, you know, five steps forward, three steps backwards, but you got a net increase of two steps in the right direction. And over a period of years, you'll find yourself walking in greater and greater freedom until finally you are free. It doesn't mean you won't sin again. You will. What it means though, is that that sin can't actually pull you into a place of slavery and dominate your life. It'll never dominate you again. And that's the life of Christ in us. So finally, in conclusion, as we come through this Passover this year, it's intended to give you a framework of the past, our ancestors, the story of redemption, and then point you forward to Yeshua, the Lamb of God, so that you can experience a greater redemption than even your ancestors a redemption from sin and shame, being brought into sonship, daughtership with the Father, being free, free men and free women, free boys and free girls through the merit of the blood of Messiah. This is what we're going to focus on. Keep in mind, too, that in this week of Passover, we have the resurrection. And we'll talk about that in, in the weeks to come. It's also one of the appointed times in the week of Passover. So we're going to celebrate the death of Christ <clears throat> that brings us redemption or atonement and also the resurrection of Christ 
which brings us liberty from sin and shame. Spiritual redemption from sin and death requires the power of resurrection. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead that can break any sin that you're in bondage to. If we died in Messiah, will we not also with him rise? That is the hope. That is the story of Passover. So in conclusion, I want to give anyone an opportunity uh, that has not received Jesus into your life as the Lamb of God, your Savior, your Lord. I want to, I want to just give you that opportunity to do that. In fact, um, it, it's simple. It's difficult, but it's simple, okay? You just need to do three things. And I want to speak to those that are watching this via um, our, our video. If you've uploaded this and you're watching this, I want to speak to you as well. If you've not received Jesus as your Passover sacrifice for your sins, for your atonement, uh, you, can, you can do that. Um, and I'm going to invite you to do that with me. But it's really easy. It's three things. Humble yourself and confess to him that you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're bound for hell. If Jesus is not in your life, you're, you're already the living dead. You're already in the realm of the dead. And the lake of fire is your future. People, we need Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you need Jesus. It's not something you want to put off. Humble yourself. Confess to him that you are a sinner bound for hell. Turn away from your sins and turn towards him and ask for forgiveness and cleansing and salvation. And then just invite him into your life as your Lord and Savior. If you're ready, I'm just going to lead you in this prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's a life-changing prayer. If you pray this by faith and in sincerity, he'll come into your life. He'll cause you to be born again. He'll set you on a journey. It will end in a world so beautiful, a new heavens and a new earth forever, where sin and shame will never touch your life again. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner bound for hell. I'm deeply sorry for my sins. I turn from my sin and towards you for forgiveness, cleansing, and salvation. I believe you died for the sin of the world and rose on the third day. I believe you've become King of kings and Lord of lords. I surrender my life to you. I invite you into my heart as my Lord and Savior from this day forth. In your name, I pray and say amen. Now, if you've prayed this prayer in sincerity and faith, you're born again. Just encourage you to join a Bible-believing church. If you're watching the video, get into a Bible-believing church and start your new journey with a community who also believes. For those that are saved and in bondage to some sin that you're embarrassed about, that you're hiding from other people, don't be embarrassed any longer. Confess that to the Lord. Ask Him for deliverance. Believe him that he will deliver you, and he will. It may take some time. It's okay. You're saved by grace, not through works. But nonetheless, he'll give you what you need 
and you'll find yourself over a period of time walking into freedom and getting free of those things that hold you back. This is the season of our deliverance. Amen? Write down first fruits. It's going to be the Sunday following our Passover Seder. So our Passover Seder is on a Friday, and then that Sunday is first fruits. It's the resurrection day, the day of the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. There's no, there's no corporate assembly for that. I'll talk about that in weeks to come. No corporate assembly. So we're not going to do a corporate assembly because God said don't do a corporate assembly. You know, there's no corporate assembly for that particular appointed time. But make that a special day. Set it aside for you and your family and for the kids. Have a big brunch or dinner or whatever and make that a big deal and enjoy and enter into the resurrection of Jesus. Not just the death, but also the resurrection on Sunday during first fruits. Make plans now or it's going to come and go before you know it. But the whole week is a holy week filled with redemption. You and your family, enjoy that. And then also for the people that maybe don't have a Seder to go to, uh, we have a lot on our website, resource page, that will help you do a Seder in your own home. You can even download our Haggadah uh, that's focused in Yeshua the Messiah and the past, of course. You can download that and use that for your family uh, in your own homes. All right, Shabbat Shalom.